This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Tomahome. I'm Julie from 19 Nocturne Boulevard. And I'm Luke from the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast. And I'm David Stifle, that Burroughs guy. And we're talking about Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs and David's narration thereof. Yay! 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 <laughs> Yay! Aww. There we go. <laughs> so, does he? Do you actually ever do the the, the do you, in the in the narration? I don't remember if you do it. No, you don't. You don't actually ever do the uh, the uh, you know the the classic Tarzan. You, you mean roar. yeah, the, the the classic Hollywood Tarzan yodel, which is oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which they call it among the uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs fan base. Uh, I don't know if you guys are, I don't know if your guys are aware, but uh, we were talking earlier, Jesse, about the Dum Dum, Mm -hmm. and uh, very quickly, and I suspect this was even before. I know it's before even Star Trek happened. I believe that the Burroughs nuts created the conventions, the con, what they've turned into the cons now. You've got the Star Trek cons and all those, but before all of that happened. Edgar Rice Burroughs fans were having annual dum-dums, and that comes out of, <laughs> comes out of the book. But uh, very quickly, the fans would have yearly get-togethers uh, called the dum-dums. And this year, the dum-dum was held here in the West San Fernando Valley, very close to Tarzana, the city that Mr. Burroughs essentially founded. And yeah, based on the profits of this, this book. and Very and- much. 39 other books that followed? Huge. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think 13. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 13. 40 total. Yeah. Yeah. So what Just I really a- love about the the Dum Dum service is that I mean this is the this is where all the apes get together and everything that they do these um these uh, was it the Mangani apes and they they have this ceremony where it pretty much is that they drum and then they, yes. whatever happens is done to the sound soundtrack of drumming apes. And yes. uh, I really love the part of the book. It goes sort of like, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's like every service of every church of every religion stems from the ritual of the dum-dum. That's right. <laughs> which I think which, which is a great way. So it takes it all the way down to like the essence of what, you know, ritual and religion and spiritual experience and meditate. Well, not so much meditation, but, you know, like the chanting all comes down to the dum-dum and then goes on to describe actually what's going yes. on there. I've got to, I've got the book right here, and I, I don't I, I don't want to repeat the podcast, but this is such a beautiful sentence. It is one of Edgar Rice Burroughs' huge run-on sentences that are yeah. great fun <laughs> for a narrator to do. But What's I've got the, it in what, front the of one me. that I just I was just paraphrasing there. Yeah, I mean. here is okay, the sentence. From this primitive function has arisen unquestionably all the forms and ceremonials of modern church and state, for through all the countless ages, back beyond the last uttermost ramparts of a dawning humanity, our fierce, hairy forebears danced out the rites of the dum-dum to the sound of their earthen drums beneath the bright light of a tropical moon (laughs) in the depth of a mighty jungle which stands unchanged today as it stood on that long-forgotten night in the dim, unthinkable vistas (laughs) of the long-dead past when our first shaggy ancestors swung from a swaying bough and dropped lightly upon the soft turf of the first meeting place. That's all wow. one sentence. This is this is really great. I mean, that's way better than my 
paraphrase of it, which actually now. Well, you got like it pretty close, Luke. Well, I, I know that was that was from that was from two day old memory. But no, those kind of run on sentences is why, and, and I want you to bring this up about with the with your narration of it is why it's so great to have a narrator read it to you because they've read the sentence maybe eight or nine times before you <laughs> get there and then <laughs> yeah. it's, you know you know where to pause and when to breathe and when to sort of like separate out into little bits and pieces you've done your you know what is it the sentence diagramming of it just to be able to make sure you understand what's going on in there yeah and when someone reads it to you you can really get that and that's what happened when me and jesse were discussing the uh, the connecticut yankee and king arthur's court mm. and we both started reading that as a we didn't we both start reading that as a book like as an ebook and then yep. we swi- both switched across to uh, the narration. I can't remember who the narrator was, but he did so much better with the long sentences than than I could do. So, like, there was that one huge long sentence where they were actually making fun of somebody making a long sentence, and <laughs> it just ke- it just keeps on going on and on and on. I had to like pause it three times just in the narration to stop laughing yeah. before continuing it. So those kind of long sentences, like you say, they're great for you to do as as a narrator, but they're also the reason why you shouldn't you should listen to a narrator yourself because like I say, they've got the, they, instead they, of trying to do it yourself. The, yeah. The, the, which the, is doing the, it in your own head is too difficult. Well, you know, reading it on the page is, is different than reading it aloud, but there, you know, some people are meant to be read aloud. Just, it sounds, the story is better when it's read aloud. If you read Poe, mm. Poe is, should be read aloud. It shouldn't be read on the page. Um, and, and yet reading it aloud with Poe, you actually do better if you read it, to someone else so you're enjoying it in the reading uh but with this you know most people don't interact with any of burrow's books by audiobook they do it just the regular paper book and they have no problem with these giant run-on sentences because they're on the page Mm -hmm. it's not they don't have to take that breath but there is a difficulty in translating and and uh I guess what is this your seventh book? Oh, uh, God, uh, uh, this would be my eighth Burroughs book. Eighth, okay. This, and you're wor- you're working on the the next Tarzan. I'm all, book, right? I'm already on the Return of Tarzan at the podcast wow. right now. Yeah, so that's my ninth. Wow. From this, and this is the from, original version, right? It's not the cleaned up version. The one that I'm reading, the one that I read, was the original first edition, uncensored, unexpurgated. A little later, we can get into some actual P's and Q's with it because it's a fascinating story. Yeah, the story. 1955 version has uh, been since then. The, it's been cleaned up because what? What was the reason? Uh, it might offend certain groups. Yes. And I was thinking, well. What apes? <laughs> is it well, offend? no, uh, uh, the, 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 or eth- no, it's a nationalities is what it said. I think in the in the explanation, it's like what nationalities are going to be offended? I, I maybe I, I mean if I you're think it's more if racial think, groups because this is probably one of the most guess. racist books I've ever read or listened to. If you know, what I mean, it's it's and oh. Spe- oh, it's it's not nearly as racist as many of the contemporary stuff. But I, I was I was because uh, David, you were saying it was going to be you know I wanted to hold off on it. I don't think it's that bad. Well, um, it's actually the the really racial stuff is the character of Esmeralda. Yeah, I guess so. That's 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 sort of the stereotypical stuff uh, of the. It, she's she's uh, and I think you you give her kind of that voice too. Uh, she's got that. Uh, uh, what's that? Gone with the wind, sort of. Yeah, the mam uh, the 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 stereotypical unedged. It's the stereo. I actually think it comes from minstrel shows, 
And that might have been very familiar to Mr. Burroughs because he didn't live in the South. He wasn't familiar with – he wasn't that familiar with blacks from the South. He was an urban Chicago kind of guy. Uh, he had spent some time in Arizona in the cavalry. and He'd been in Idaho, but he hadn't spent an awful lot of time in the Deep South. But there was this stereotype of how blacks behaved that probably came from minstrel shows. And back around 1900, 1911 – those were on the way out, but they weren't completely dead, I don't believe, at that time. And uh, But the, the, the whole, uh, if there's blacks out there who are offended, please, I, you know, I'm giving this as an example. It's the old, as gwan down to de libby for de wody melons, Mars. Um, uh, you know, short of saying the N-word, it can't get more insulting to a black person than to talk like that. I've got good friends who just can't even watch Gone with the Wind because they hate the Mammy character in that, even though that was a breakthrough for blacks at the time. Also, it was also propagated through old-time radio. Sure, right. It Amos shows and Andy? Up in, well, there's Amos and Andy and, to a lesser degree, some of the more um, – a lot of – a lot of – Elevator operators and maids and stuff. I mean, it was a stereotype all around. Sure, sure. And, and the Jar Jar Binks it, as well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, but I'm just saying that I mean, because I just watched episode three, and when the and when the uh, Chewbacca's not the Chewbacca's, what they call the Wookies, they fly in and they swing in on these vines, and they actually do the Tarzan yodel. They go ah as they fly in, and you're like, really? You're gonna do Tarzan? <laughs> yeah. Right. They do. They do the eight men in in episode three of Star Wars. It's terrible. That was a cheap shot from Mr. Lucas. I do remember that. Hmm. One I do thing though that. to bring up, I mean, and you haven't specifically mentioned dates, is when uh, these were written because this October nineteen twelve was the first right. publication. I mean, publication, it, it, right? It really does matter, you know, when something was written to what sort of. Uh, social consciousness you have at the time it's it's very easy to forget that tarzan is actually that old because the stories have been repeated through film and through uh you know all different medias it over and over again i mean i grew up with tarzan comic books and tarzan uh on tv and tarzan you know and so it, it felt even though the story it was telling was happening in the past it didn't always feel like it was written in the past right well what's terribly interesting is yeah it's a hundred years old right now it was written mm -hmm. uh and published in 1912 it was his uh third book that he got published actually um but it was written in 1912 which is a hundred years ago um and the the yeah, it, Mr. Burroughs was an upper middle class white guy. Uh, racial relations in this country were in their primitive era. Uh, my God, uh, slavery and days of the Civil War with, were a living memory for a lot of people at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you got the step and fetch it characters. You had uh, in silent films. You certainly had blacks as comic relief. Uh, you know, the big, wide, staring, rolling eyes, the cliche of that. So, yes, I... Uh, there, there's some scary stuff. I mean, if, if you're looking at it as a racist book, there's a couple of things. Like, Esmeralda, her characterization of her voice, I, I, I honestly don't know what people sounded like back then. I'm, I'm just reading books, so mm -hmm. I don't really know. Maybe, maybe there's some basis to, you know, uh, sort of a, you know... Sub uh, s subspecies of 
dialogue. I don't know. But what I do know is that there's some visual stuff in there. Like when when that is a lion coming into that room, right? She, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the what's the white lady named? Uh, Jane. Jane, right? Jane. <laughs> she picks up. Duh. She picks up that um, pistol. And she points it at Esmeralda's head. Oh yes. yeah, she's going to shoot Esmeralda in the head. Yeah, and then and then she's going to she's shoot her in the head, and then she's going to shoot herself. And uh, the chapter ends when she shoots right. And luckily, we find right. out she's not. Dead. Well, no. This, but, let, can I just can I just go into yeah, go this bit a bit? This is what I thought was like the races like the underlying racism it's not so much the language it's just that how the the black characters are treated it's sort of like when they die it doesn't matter and in this case she thought she shot her black maid in the head it's narrated i mean like the 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 narration like the the story itself the the text itself makes you think that she's been shot in the head and then it turns out that it the lion gets pulled back and everything's fine and they're like oh it's great we're not dead the The lion has died we're okay and it's like there's a you just shot a woman in the head your maid is over there she's laying in the pool it's like as far as they knew the maid is lying over there in a pool of blood and nobody even seems to care and then it's like oh and later they found out that the black maid was alive and that that was all right i guess yeah and this is the thing that really gets me right and and that happens other times in the book as well where they're just like oh and all the black people were killed but the one white person he was fine you know it's that Oh, because the, the other black people are cannibals, so I, under, you know, it's understandable in some yeah, ways. Yeah, the other visualization that was really, I mean, it sort of stood out was when Conan, Tarzan, first reaches uh, the village and he he discovers uh, the the guy who he, who has killed uh, his mother. Mm-hmm. Is it Kala? Uh, and uh, yeah, Kala, and he he gets him by the neck. And pulls him up, hauling him up out of the jungle. And the, the people of the village think it's a go, like some sort of spirit that's got him, right? Right. But he's, he's easily being hung. And, you know, that lynching, uh, lynching Ooh. a black man is not a good visualization. Even though the guy, you know, there's some revenge going on there. And it it's not like Tarzan is motivated by, by uh, well. hatred. Also, though, in the first book, they make a big deal out of the fact that he does rope tricks and he does – he hangs sure. a lion and stuff. I mean that really just yeah. follows his modus operandi. That's not a – I don't think that that was at all in that kind of thing. No, but I think, you take them out of context, they, they look a lot worse than they are. Yeah, yeah. I think and, they're and, pretty bad. And in 1912, uh, the KKK was on the upsurge. They, they had their heyday in the 20s. But in, still in 1912 in the South, you would have had KKKers or – unassociated white folks lynching blacks that was uh um not that uncommon unfortunately yeah, because to, again if you actually look at the way that the that the tribe the cannibal tribe were looking at that they weren't seeing somebody who killed someone by doing rope trips and seeing it they were seeing it as some kind of like well, i wouldn't say propaganda but some kind of uh they think it's god they can, they yeah they think it's a god and they stuff. think but all they're seeing is the scene that um, people in a in a black community would have seen of the lynching. They would come out and there would be like the the signs scrawled on him, the you know whatever it is, and him hanging from a tree outside, you know, outside or in the middle of their community. And that's from their point of view. They are getting sure. the same terror as a lynching in the South. It doesn't matter what methods they actually got them up there or Tarzan yeah. got them up there. 
the image, the horrific image of finding one of your own hanging from a tree is directly from, you know, southern uh, lynch mob kind of imagery. Yeah. Like say even if, even if that was in the twenties, that was it's definitely the same imagery which was yes. which was so devastating to the communities. Yes. So is, is this what they've taken out, David? In the, in the uh, actually, that part uh, I no, they didn't take that part out. Um, <laughs> it's 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 awesome. What ha- uh, origin? Okay, the the Tarzan books were incredibly popular, but by the 1960s, everything had been allowed to lapse. Copyrights lapsed. Uh, publications had turned to zero. It was really impossible to get copies of these works in the 60s. And then, because they did fall out of copyright, there was a very quick feeding frenzy. The estate got back on it. They renewed their copyrights, and it was a big, huge mishmash. But Ballantyne got the go-ahead, the official authorization to publish the Tarzan novels. And they went through several editions. In 1966, and this is where I've, I've actually gotten involved with some of the guys at uh, – at, uh, the fan, the fan group, uh, um, the Burroughs bibliophiles, the guys who go to the Dum Dums, and uh, there are a couple of scholars there who have documented some of this, but uh, not the extent that I discovered. The fact that I have a 1923 copy of this that my mother gave me. It was the Grosset and Dunlop reprint, which is a verbatim copy of the original first edition. So I have this hard copy of the original text. Now, when you do audiobooks, you got to mark your text up a lot. And I didn't want to wreck my mother's copy. So I went to Project Gutenberg, and I got their copy and printed it out. And I actually would take that into the booth and read from it. And then I would proof against my hardback. Well, only after two chapters, I discovered very quickly that those two texts are extremely different. And I'll get into some of the differences later. And this was about the time that the Dum Dum was starting up, so I actually sent letters to the Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated, which was uh, taking the reservations for the Dum Dum, saying, uh, I'd like to get in touch with some people about the text because I've discovered there's some real anomalies between what what Mr. Burroughs wrote and what's being published at Project Gutenberg, for example. That's another story, but they they sent uh, sent links to a couple of their uh, scholars, and there's one guy who actually wrote a pamphlet called um, Tarzan the Censored, a guy named Jerry Schneider. <laughs> what, a, what happened apparently, uh, as the books were being reprinted in the mid-60s, we had terrific unrest in the United States over the civil rights. We had uh, a couple of summers of, of riots across the country, and in 66, and it's not clear whose idea this was. Somebody went into the book and cleaned up Esmeralda's dialogue, such that uh, instead of saying "I ain't why I, I I ain't going to see these things no more," they turned her into absolutely letter perfect. I'm not going to see these things anymore. They totally <laughs> threw out her characterization. It was done primarily in Esmeralda's dialogue. Then in 69, and this is where folklore comes in, apparently the estate, Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated, actually requested that Ballantyne censor it 
They had censored it in the fourth printing in 66 unofficially, but in 69 there was an official request to clean up that dialogue. And what's terribly funny is in that one, they put some of the ain'ts, some of the d's, does in, but uh, they kind of made that in a, in a middle area. But what I've discovered at that time in 69, and it's unclear who did it, and under what authority, somebody went in there with a huge red pencil and tried to improve and rewrite Edgar Rice Burroughs. He not only cleaned up the censored parts, he fixed grammar that he thought was faulty. He changed vocabulary that he thought was archaic. He dropped parts of the plot. The whole subplot of Jane Porter in the cabin thinking she's going to have to shoot herself, but she'd better kill Mammy first because it would be uh, uh, cruel to kill herself and leave Mammy to be eaten by the lion, so she's going to shoot Mammy first and then shoot her. That whole plot thread is totally dropped in this, in, in this expurgated version. It's just Jane is in the uh, cabin and the and Sabor is trying to crawl through the window and she has a gun and she fires and we end the chapter. The whole thing about Jane uh, wanting to commit suicide, gone. Later on in the forest fire when she thinks she's dead, she offers a prayer up to her maker. All the religious stuff, gone. Uh, the fact that no god can save her, only Tarzan can save her, that, gone. Um, just vocabulary vocabulary changed you can't say off frighted they have to say frightened uh the huge long run-on sentences that are such a trademark signature of burroughs cleaned up fixed good grammar and and 1960s grammar you know the uh, it somebody rewrote this book to suit themselves in 1966 such that if you have the Expurgated text, it really is a pale imitation of what Burroughs wrote. Is it, but is this the one that's on Project Gutenberg, or is that a different one? The, the Project would... Gutenberg is the expurgated 1969 Burroughs uh, uh, really? Ballantine ah. text. Oh, that should actually be copyrighted still. The, every time you change it, you know, or uh, maybe not abridge it, but if, every time you change it, you could re-copyright it. You could, if, but if they didn't actually register, then it would But it wasn't registered as a brand new copyright. It right. just registered as the fourth printing. But right. I'm so Fifth pleased that printing. I listened to your version, because otherwise I, would, I, I already, I already yeah. downloaded the Guten, Project Gutenberg one as a, as a, you know, as a Kindle file, I think, to, just to read well, on my phone. But what, what, because what, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to, get, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to uh, download the audiobook because I was traveling, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, the Gutenberg is, uh, as I said, I would read in the, in the booth from Gutenberg, and then I'd proof it against the book, and I was spending more time cleaning up the differences. I mean, in just chapter one, yeah. there were about twenty differences. So wow. pretty quickly, I I figured, no, I got to take the book into the booth and read from that. And then yeah. just out of as a as a matter of interest, I would compare that to what is in the Gutenberg, and it's just a huge, huge number of changes. Um, just in chapter one, for example, and this is where I wanted people to have their own copies because. There, it's a signature now that I can tell you pretty quickly if you've got the real text or whether you've got the, the crappy one. If you go into <laughs> chapter one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, the seventh paragraph. Anybody with me? Uh, one, uh, one second. I, I was just here. Thing. 
Chapter one, the seventh paragraph, the paragraph that begins, The Englishman in Africa. Mm -hmm. You see that? Um, Okay, the Englishman in Africa went even further, saying that these poor blacks were held in virtual slavery. Since, now, do you say after or does your text say when? After. You've got, After their terms of enlistment. You've got the expurgated version. Because what ah. Ed wrote was, Ed wrote, since when their terms of enlistment expired. Now, that's a tiny little word, but that's your signature right there. If it says yeah. after, that's someone, imp- you know, someone thinking, oh, you're, no, you see the guy thinking, oh, he's, not, he's right. wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not when the term expired. It's after it expired. Well, there, see, there's an example of your editor trying to be better than Ed. If you go a little bit later down into the... He's improving it. Yeah, he's he, improving he's it. He's improving it for 60 no, cha- mentality. But that changes... That changes the meaning, though, because yes, yeah, it does. Term, yes, it does. Let's go down to uh, one, two. Because if they did one. it afterward, if they'd expired, they wouldn't be ignorant, and they'd be going home. So it's it's when they expire, when the terms yeah. ex- well, were you, expiring. You, you, well, you, you've got you've hmm. got an English grammar Nazi trying to trying to say no, we have we uh, we can't have kids being exposed to this bad grammar and use of English. We got to fix it. Let's go later, uh, about five paragraphs down from there, paragraph that says when he received this appointment. Are you with there? Towards yeah. the end of that paragraph, well, just a, just an example of color. Uh, the end of the paragraph, it was the thought of taking this fair young girl into the dangers and isolation of tropical Africa that appalled him. That's what the Gutenberg says. Well, yeah. Ed said, uh, uh, into the dangers and isolation of tropical Africa that dismayed and appalled him. Ed said dismayed and appalled. And someone was thinking, well, that's silly because they're the same words. They're synonymous. He's using too many words. Let's get rid of dismayed. Okay? Mm. But, you know, that's a word here, a word there. You know, uh, it it can be totally crucial, though. The other day I I posted a story by Jack London that had been recorded by my friend Greg Marguerite a couple of years ago. And the version he got was off of Gutenberg. And it's a it's a about the same time period too. It's a, a story of two manly men who uh, ha, have a sea, shipwreck and then uh, form a lasting friendship uh, for seventeen years, and then uh, the the friend dies. And and the idea is it's called the heathen. And at the end of the story, um, we get the sense that uh, black people are good too, or brown people are good too. Um, because even though he was a heathen, if he's not allowed into heaven, uh, I don't want to be in that heaven. That's the end of the story on the original Jack London magazine publication. Mm-hmm. But in the Gutenberg edition, which is you know from a subsequent reprinting uh, from a collection, it just says, um, "And now I hope he's in heaven." And yeah, and it's like the whole point of the story. You know, just taking out a few words or changing a few words, you can really harm the intent or the, uh, the original intent, even if you disagree with that original Absolutely. intent. Absolutely. Uh, you can really hurt it. Yeah, or, or it's just flavor. Another, here's another one later on. Uh, the Gutenberg says, in another moment he would have passed by and this strange narrative would never have been recorded. Well, that's very contemporary, but Ed wrote, this strange narrative had never been recorded, which is 
a flavor period language. It's not how we talk nowadays, but it is how they talked in 1911. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I, thinking, I was thinking a great uh, – uh, parallel to this would be what if somebody says hey this Hemingway guy I like him but man he's too sparse he doesn't give you enough to hang on <laughs> you know he's Shakespeare's just, too wordy yeah and Shakespeare's <laughs> too wordy so but let's clean this up a bit yeah oh but, now Shakespeare got bowdlerized all over the place in fact that's where the word comes from of course but I don't know if any if members of Shakespeare's family asked Mr. Bowdler to do that <laughs> that's true and apparently no and I, I I've seen uh, on Line. There was a letter from the borough's estate asking Ballantyne to please censor the racially offensive stuff out of their next edition of Tarzan of the Apes. And it's very unclear who got the idea that the difference between would never have been and had never been, who, who said that was racially offensive and needed to be censored? But somebody got it in their head that they had to rewrite Burroughs. And it, by the time you've done like 20 of those in chapter one, by the by times, you know, 28 chapters, you've got over a thousand changes in wording, sentence structure, events, paragraphs. It's not the same book. What you get at Project Gutenberg is not it, – it's, it's like – it's not like a nice big ice – Coca-Cola, it's like a two-day-old, flat, warm, <laughs> watered-down tab, you know? Yeah, which actually brings it back to what I really enjoyed about this book. It's not just, you know, and again, uh, saying about the narration, it's just like normally when I start reading a, a book, like I was thinking, well, I'll, I downloaded this on uh, on Friday, and I knew I'd be um, – you know, I knew I'd be able to uh, read it, you know, listen to a bit in that day. And then it was a travel day yesterday. But what, uh, because I was doing this editing, video editing job, which was pretty mindless, it was hard, it, you know, it's difficult work, but not anything that I had to kind of engage my mind with. I listened to it all and finished it at like three o'clock in the morning on, oh, on cool. you know, so I, so I listened to it pretty much. I mean, I had a small break, um, at one point when I had a shower after sitting in a hot tub. Um, but otherwise, it was pretty much like reading it or listening to it all the way through with with very, very few breaks at all, like just listening to it all the way through. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. But, I mean, uh, uh, despite me saying it's one of the most racist books that I've read, you know, because uh, I, I guess I don't read a lot of books from back then. And I do still think, I stu do still think people from back then, just the time period doesn't excuse their racism um, but, uh, I, I thought it was amazing. It was really, really good fun. Uh, there was so much stuff in there to enjoy and so much. Of it I was think it's thoughtful too. I, I mean, I, I was, you know, I, I didn't notice dumb, dumb as being that, I guess I, I remember that scene. I just didn't remember the phrase. Um, and it, I think it's because a lot of the time something would happen in the story and I'd be like, I'd be thinking about that for quite a while. <laughs> like, like just. You know some of the relationships between uh, uh, I keep saying Conan Tarzan and the village, right? <laughs> oh yeah, he's got he's got a weird. I mean, they think he's a god. <laughs> yes. He he treats them as uh, a, he looks at them as a source of inspiration. He also steals from them. He is contemptuous of them. It's a very strange relationship he's developed. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they, he just looks at them like insects, like they're like a hive mind kind of thing, that they're just mindless things going around and following their own patterns. Yeah, and then at the other times he thinks that they're like, oh, they're very clever, I'll do he, this. There's stuff that. to be learned from them, yes, right? Yes. And, yeah. Well, uh, that, it, it ties into his theme of, of, and it was a strong theme in Burroughs in, in 
across all of his writing is that mankind and civilization aren't. You know, and the fact that that We're not civilized, yeah, and the fact that Tarzan's first uh, encounter with his own kind, which is is the blacks, which are humans, and he discovers that they're not nearly as nice as the beasts of the jungle that he's grown up with. That this so-called yeah. his own kind, he wonders, wow, I came from that. These people are the only ones who are cruel and torture each other to death, and that's a very strong theme in Burroughs. Is that and humans also- are mean. Go ahead. So, sorry, and also the reason that those black people are there and the cannibals and they're trying having to live out in the wild is because these are the people who have been driven off the land by the white men, the white colonial. Mm. Oh, that's men. right. So, and the, so, that's so right. it's not it's not quite as big as much as War of the Worlds, which is just like, hey, just imagine if we're colonized. Ha, how would you like that? You know, that kind of quite you know even if it was the real world it was yeah it was uh, this is this is real world and say no it was the dutch who came into the congo i think it's the dutch who came into the congo no the belgians coming to the congo belgians yeah Yeah, and uh, there's the most hideous hideous form of colonialism ever recorded right leopold ii I think so it was. I understand how these people, but then it is like, oh, well, uh, Tarzan was going to eat someone. And then he was like, oh, no, but maybe someone isn't right. You know, so when Tarzan is contemplating cannibalism from a like pragmatic kind of view and he doesn't do it, it's kind of like noble of him <laughs> not to do it. He's like he's more beast like by not being a cannibal. And then when the black people or I say the black people, I, I see I'm being more racially sensitive because I would never call them when the blacks do it as they do in the in the book. It's like when the black ah. people do it. Well, it's good that you can just go in and uh, we're just going and kill all of them, except the women and children, maybe. Um, you know, and it's sort of like, oh, well, yeah, cannibalism, when Tarzan is thinking about doing it, is noble. Um, but then when the when the black tribe, cannibal tribe does it, it's savage, you know, so it's, it's a weird double standard because he's white. He can he can contemplate cannibalism but because they're black they're just savage we don't really get to see see from their point of view at all though no. i mean they we we just we we get a little sense that they're freaked out uh and 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 they're we 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 get a we get told why you know they if you go there today you can still see the food being left out and the arrows being left out yeah. to appease the 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 white god of the woods and but that whole there, there are a lot of wiped out. It was decimated. Well, not decimated. Whatever you want to say, it was. They just they were just going. Okay, let's just go in and kill them all. And then they didn't just left us. Like, oh, job done. Let's get out of here. Um, so yeah, I was. So um, one of the, one of the things we were talking about briefly before the podcast started was uh, the 1984 movie Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, which uh, is interesting in many respects. But one one reason that it's interesting is Tarzan. The word is never used. In the entire movie, except hmm. in the title, hmm. uh, nobody calls him Tarzan. They call him uh, Lord Greystoke. They call him John Clayton, um, but they never call him Tarzan. Um, another really interesting change, I think, is the endings of the two movies are completely different. It, they never go to Baltimore; they go to uh, Scotland uh-huh. or England, depending on. Uh, in dialogue, they say, "You know, I want you to marry an English an Englishman." But they're all in Scotland. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit unclear if they're. Well, it's the same Scot- thing, isn't it? I'm- oh yeah. Well, I, I, I think oh, the producers oh, oh. were English, so. I well, they, they, yeah, they, they, yeah, they wanted to go and and uh, play up in Scotland. That they didn't want to go to Baltimore, and God, they didn't want go, want to go to Wisconsin. <laughs> they brought they brought uh, Jane. Jane is brought up to. She's in living in Scotland, so it it works out in. 
what I th- what I think is a actually an improvement that I really love that movie, and what I think is a good improvement in that movie is that they, in, in a way, they do update it because what they did is they have Tarzan doesn't just have a, a an ape father a mother, but he also has an ape father, and in the movie, the ape father is driven away by uh, who's the who's the king of the the apes Kerchak. before Tarzan mm-hmm. Kerchak. Mm-hmm. He's driven away by Kerchak. And um, uh, Tarzan and the, and the mom or Kala are really upset by this, um, but they realize they have to stay with the village, right? And then later on in the movie, um, the the father shows up in a museum that is being opened uh-huh. by Blake's family, and he's about to be uh, cut up and turned into a you know a stuffed a stuffed wall mounted uh, family dude Hmm. i don't know he's going to be a museum exhibit and so tarzan releases him and they go running and then the village kills him Uh, not i'm sorry the the people of scotland kill him i remember that Uh, actually yes yeah it's it's quite striking and and he he freaks out and has to go back to 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 um africa uh and i i I think it's i mean that's kind of how we ended in the book as well right we've got uh, sort of a an unexpected ending, which I, I enjoyed, but the fact that they managed to turn the evil village of black people into the evil village of Scotland, <laughs> uh, yeah, by having not just the mother be killed, but the father. The the mother is killed by an ape in the movie, and the father is killed by a uh, human, huh. Huh. or a group of humans who all agree that the the ape that's running loose must be shot. Interesting. And it, it is a, a nice way to update it and not have it be super racist. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and it's very full of the pathos that I think is really, it's in the book. This is the most, uh, of the two others that, uh, three books I've read that we've done for this podcast. This is the most one full of, uh, feeling, you yes. know, the, yes. the, sad, the sadness that comes with the death of, all of these family members and the relationships. I mean, you know, the, what's, what's the, what's the Belgian, not Belgian, the French, uh, naval uh, officer. Darno. Darno. Mm-hmm. So he hit the relationship he has with Tarzan. It's, it's, it's fully shown in the movie as well. Those he's Belgian in the movie. Um, it's amazing. The, the relationship they have is it's like a mother daughter relationship or a mother son relationship. Oh yeah. Well, he's, he's, he's Tarzan's first into, he teaches Tarzan to talk. He teaches Tarzan everything he knows about civilization. So he's the father that Tarzan really didn't have that he, he needed also, the stepfather. So, so he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Because the, the <laughs> table keeps coming back to stars. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, well, it, 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 no, Star Wars comes back to Tarzan. Comes back yeah, to Tarzan. Okay, yeah, okay, that's, that's yeah. true, yeah. Yeah, uh, we, we, we do need to say something that's obvious, but we haven't said it. Tarzan was the mega blockbuster hit of the 20th yeah. century. It sure. truly was. It was the beginning of superheroes. I mean, we'd had Nietzsche and 
Shaw talking about Superman as as a philosophical intellectual thing, but a big, strong Superman, you know, uh, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound, superhuman strength. This, I think, is probably the first we got of it, and it was an, an overnight sensation. It was Lord of the Rings. It was Harry Potter. It was go straight to Hollywood. This was a huge, huge thing for as everyone has said, the whole 20th century, everyone knows who Tarzan is. And it's the biggest hit that Burroughs ever had, right? Absolutely. That was his cash cow. He uh, did, his other... Let me say, he did, he did the Buzz no, of Mars first, but then when he did this, it's like, oh, no, this is what I need to be doing more. Was it? Oh, yeah. He kind, of, it was... he kind of took a break from the Princess of Mars series, uh, the Barsoom series, to do this, didn't he? Well, yeah. he didn't really I, I break. He was, he, was, he was just... He was doing shotgun. He was he was on the he was on the ropes. He he had tried so many different trades and failed and failed and failed. This was one more arrow in the quiver that he was trying to make a living at. He he wrote this outlandish story about people on Mars and sent that off and probably before it ever got accepted or well no he he was very pragmatic I mean once he saw hey this sells I'll write another he started with Mars then he went to uh, uh, a prince in the pauper uh, uh, Ruritania uh, prisoner of Zenda type story the Mad King the next one was this thing he'd been cooking up called Tarzan of the Apes. He just had all these – he was a wonderfully inventive guy, and he just had all these ideas that were bubbling out. So he, so it, he was – I would say instead of putting one to the side and working another, I think he was juggling. I mean he had well, all oh, these I just, I, no, I just, I just Weren't these serialized? Yeah. I, no, this one, was, this one was complete in one issue. Yes, it was. That, it was very rare. Uh, it's Usually it's they'd serialize impressive. them, but uh, uh, obviously the people at All Story knew they had something special, too, because that was the a special story. deal that they uh, actually, uh, uh, collectors actually, they, they liked, well, this thing is like 40000 bucks if you can get a pristine copy of the original All Story magazine. But the prior one, the one before, they actually printed a, a full-page advertisement saying, coming up in the next issue, a one-whole novel in one issue. It was a big deal. So uh, the, these guys obviously knew they had something special. It's a big novel, too. I mean, it, it, this is 10 hours, yeah, right? Yeah, this is the longest book I've read so far. Once I uh, toted pretty, it up, pretty it's pretty a big. long one, yeah. yeah. I just saw oh, it here. I, it's, was... it's 1912 is Princes of Mars and then Gods of Mars 1914. The next one, Warlords of Mars, is 1918. And between 1912 and 1918, he wrote seven, seven Tarzan series. So I think... Yeah. Yeah, so it Sometimes was at the beginning. Sometimes it's just it was what's definitely, in your head, though. Yeah, of course, I but mean, in total, I'm just saying in total, oh. there are more Tarzan. So he was probably writing them all at the same time, but because there's yeah, more yeah, Tarzan yeah, yeah. series, there's just, you know, they just more them in the same amount of time. Yeah, well, he, um, he understood that that's where his, his money yeah. was, and that's where the demand was. So, okay, I'll okay. write a couple of Tarzans, and I'll write this, and I'll write that. Once he realized that this was money, uh, he, he was very hungry, and he would just, he'd just spit them out, bang, 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 his... His work ethic was incredible. I mean, he would uh, once he had become famous and was fairly set off. I mean, his deal was two books a year. But early early on, he was just cranking this stuff out. So one of the one of the things that uh, you know I was thinking about a lot. Uh, again, <laughs> this uh, this book is full of ideas. It's it's not really a science fiction book except for some of the uh, uh, the ideas about how people. Uh, how other animals can have languages and and such like that. It's it's 
it's pretty interesting. Uh, one one uh, interview I heard uh, BBC talking about um, Tarzan was saying, you know, what, is it possible? Is this is this sort of thing possible? And it it got me thinking all about the you know things I used to read about like uh, wild children, mm-hmm. you know. People who are raised by animals, you know, we've got famously Romulus and Remus as a kind of mythological origin for that. And right. there's Mowgli from yeah, uh, Richard Kipling, right. who's kind of, you know, the Indian version, I guess, of uh, Tarzan. Um, but all, uh, Tarzan is a wild child, right? Yes. He, he learns everything from the apes except how to read english right <laughs> he figures and, that uh, out himself <laughs> yeah wasn't that one uh, of, no, wasn't that didn't we do a quiz a few episodes ago where we where you said oh he what these little bugs with these little legs coming on the page what were we talking about jesse was that with you and there was a, uh, a, a line certainly in there no no i'm just saying there was we were doing it like this was a, a year ago or something and you're mentioning this line from a book what is it and uh, it, it hmm. was the, it was the line where he was like and then under the pictures were these little bugs on the page and he was looking at these little black bugs and what were the little black bugs yeah. i just love it that he accidentally just taught french instead of english <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so clever at the end he still has this line language barrier between him and and you know the wider world because he he's accidentally taught french instead of english he has pretty good grammar for a guy who's uh he learned everything from you know little kids books and uh i mean one of the one of the things that we we can say about is he even if he is just a man he is like the high end of people in at least language learning like basically all of all of Burroughs' characters are excellent language learners, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. They, well, it's they, because in, they're white. If they're black, <laughs> but, uh, black they yeah, You know, he can learn the language of Barsoom in uh, you know, a couple weeks, and he can learn the language of the, the people at the center of the earth yeah, uh, yeah. in a couple weeks. No, but I think this uh, is... This teaches is based, himself English. I think this is based on... Well, I mean, it took him like seven, eight years to teach himself written English and still didn't understand spoken English. And then... Right. Yeah, so I, you say, oh, he did it really easily. Of course, he did it from scratch without any help from anyone except for a picture dictionary and a and a A to Z book. A to Z. The only thing that I think is impossible in this book, the only <laughs> thing that I think is completely impossible, is when Tarzan writes the note on the door. <laughs> he writes a note in English, and he includes a word that he can't have learned, Tarzan. which is Tarzan. Yes. Right. Ah. Now, in the comic version, the the Lord of the Jungle Dynamite edition, uh, that's the modern, current comic book version. They don't. It doesn't say Tarzan. It says White Skin, which makes a lot more skin. W- makes a lot more sense, right? Mm-hmm. He's the only White Skin around. His name is White Skin. That's fine. Tarzan would make no sense but, uh, because but what about the? He can't make the characters because he doesn't know how to pronounce the d uh-huh. why, why do why, right? how do they do the uh how do they do the mistaken dual identity thing where there's like oh there's a there's a literate guy around here and then there's an illiterate guy around right. here but, was, but so was that do they just go oh there's a white guy who can talk because they change quite quite a quite a few things oh, okay uh, uh the jane has the biggest bosoms you've ever seen <laughs> uh, and uh it's it's a kind of a interesting mix, I would say, but it's got it's got some good art. Uh, but yeah, Jane has massive bosoms, and Esmeralda is uh, a lot young. I think she's supposed to be Jane's nurse, yes. right? So she should be quite a lot older, I would guess. You would think. Yeah, like, and it she, says she, she looks like her 
twin sister but black it's, it says she brought her up as, as from a child so i thought right. you know when when jane was like two years old i was always just imagining she would be about 12 or something looking after yeah, yeah. looking after she her she should be a lot older like at least at least 10 15 years older i was thinking yeah i agree and it doesn't appear that way. So okay. uh, there are a lot of changes. I would not go to that as the definitive edition. I think uh, David's got the definitive edition here. Yes. Yeah, you, you mentioned well, uh, Mowgli and other, you know, similar from around this time fictional uh, wild childs. But have you ever heard of Green Mansions? Of who? Green Mansions, the Rima the Jungle oh, Girl. I've heard of that. Yeah. No. Because that of it. is, that's another one. And I'm just looking up the date that was... Um, uh, that was also made into a movie that I don't think it was anywhere near as popular as Tarzan. I mean, I, very little was as popular as Tarzan. We also haven't mentioned Johnny Weissmuller yet, by the way. Um, and that and Green Mansions was written in 1904. Hmm. Uh, Green Mansions, like like a house? No, it's about a, a forest dwelling girl named Rima in southern Venezuela. Huh. Hmm. And it also has connotations of a lost white tribe somewhere in South America, etc. Huh. Now, when was that? That's 1904. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. She spoke to the she's animals. A white, white, she's like Sheena of, of South America. Well, she didn't grow up entirely on her own. She's raised by uh, somebody. Uh, I, I can't remember. I, it's been a while since I've read it. I'm sure it's here in the Wikipedia article. Um, she's raised by... Uh, Abel, a no wait. Abel is the dude from runs into her. Anyway, um, there's there's a lot about the interplay between the whites and the tribes people there, and about how she's not. Oh, it, it, anyway, it's something to look into maybe for a future episode, and in which mm-hmm. case I will actually probably reread it and watch the movie again, cool. uh, and maybe narrate it for us. Uh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Except it is a novel, by the way. And, it's okay. Um, we can t- take it. <laughs> she, yeah. she grows up in Guyana. Yeah, and, uh, and in the movie in 1959, she was played by Audrey Hepburn. Wow. <laughs> I want to see that movie. Opposite opposite the then romantic lead, Anthony Perkins. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's a weird one. No, he was a romantic lead before he was psycho, and that was huge because that was on purpose. Because nobody would expect him to be anything but a romantic lead. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Of course, I only I only know him from Psycho. So as soon as he turns up, you're like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah. before that, in The Matchmaker and in Green Mansions and in a bunch of stuff, he was the young romantic hero lead. And that's why he got cast in Psycho. Sorry, that's a long digression. But um, I would like to see something done about Green Mansions at some point because mm-hmm. when I was growing up there was a comic book series of Rima the Jungle Girl and she was right up there with Tarzan in my head even though I know that from a vastly larger perspective he is significantly more uh, significant on the grand scheme of things uh, and the comic book <laughs> significantly totally, more significant well no I mean like you said everybody knows yeah, Tarzan he's, he's the 20th century's iconic figure I mean uh, uh, in this period this is an amazing period of time character became the primary driver of fiction I think I mean you, you got Sherlock Holmes you got uh, most of the um, most of the iconic docs, you know, Doc Savage, the Shadow, uh, most of the serial characters, uh, every Edgar Rice Burroughs series, right, has a k- 
character at its core who drives the action. And even if you're not talking fantastic fiction, if you look over to, you know, more into young adult stuff, you've got Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and the Boston Twins and Tom Swift. Mm-hmm. It's all character driven and 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 because of that you you there's something this guy is the biggest well, Tarzan's the biggest and before you had t v book serials were what you had i think uh, I think Richard Kipling had some bad things to say about about Burroughs, uh because you know mowgli mowgli did it first right yeah but, yeah uh, yeah yeah he had he said you know he's a terrible writer his his grammar's terrible uh <laughs> i think i think fixing? you know you can argue that grammar's terrible but you can't argue that people don't like uh the writing because people love it the, yeah, yeah. No. Okay. His storytelling ability was incredible, and that's what everybody responds to. Uh, his language skills were – he wasn't a trained writer. He, uh, um, he, he was a storyteller, and part of the charm is sometimes the, the, these long, windy sentences that you know are just totally you – know, get, get an academician in there, and it's just all wrong. But the, he, he knew how to tell a story. And well, that's like, what's really important. He's Can like just, Jack London. They both write with action and verve, which you didn't get yeah. from everybody writing at the time. But, Actually, I, I made. I wanted to make a comparison between this story and White Fang as well. Mm, but uh, mm. uh, Luke, you got something to oh, say? Oh no, here. I was. It, you, we kind of moved on, but I was just wanting to say about the. Um, you were talking before about how the characters became the most important thing, and I think. I mean, this is just off the top of my head, but I think before. Before then, a lot of narratives were told in first person. For example, the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. It's it's it, there is a main character, but because he's telling it from his point of view, you can't like look at that character from a distance, even if he is doing adventure stuff. And all like all of the uh, you can't admire him you in can't the same admire way. Him from a distance, and with uh, with H. G. Wells, you do have a character in the Invisible Man, but most of his other books is like, well, he's, I did this, I did despicable. this. It's yeah. uh, but it's, you know, like in, in War of the Worlds and in the Time Machine, it's like this one guy who is, you know, it, it, sometimes not named even, you know, that the protagonist of War mm. of the Worlds doesn't have his name. And then he talks about my brother did this for half of the book. It follows his brother, but his brother isn't named except for my brother. So it's either in first person or talking about, you know, a mysterious character who does this. Whereas with Tarzan and these other books, I guess with Sherlock Holmes, it's it's told from the point of view of Watson watching you see it from see, the distance seeing yeah. from a distance and suddenly these characters you can you can because you're not you're not being restricted by that first person um modesty well, I mean well, I wouldn't say the Connecticut Yankee is any kind of modest at all I mean he's got a higher opinion but you kind of you kind of see it through his eyes colored in that way so maybe I'm just pulling that out of nowhere but I'm just thinking that turn towards character is also a turn towards third person um, in some way, third-person omniscient, and then when it comes to the modern era, we're back to third-person, uh, like restricted, like narrow view of a person. So it's no longer first-person as the main thing, but we've we've taken that step closer to the character again, and we're not seeing them mm-hmm. from a distance, that heroic distance that is there in you know the nineteen. 19- uh, you know, 10 to 1950, say, with these great characters that come along. That's totally off the top of my head, but there could be something to that. No, there's there's definitely something to it. I, I don't know. I, you I don't know that first person limits you that way, because first person, of course, came back very heavily for Raymond Chandler and a lot of the, the noir detective stories. 
and that is the standard over there. But you notice uh, that the that the film has taken that over, right? So people don't actually read Chandler. They just know the movies. <laughs> I read Chandler, and it's in first Some words. people read Chandler. Chandler's but, awesome. Huh? But, but the, the Chandler the, aren't the main characters. That, I mean, the detective is always the same character, uh, if not the same character. They, they always have the same character. But then the the great... Uh, the great kind of characters that you remember are like the femme fatale, like the, you know, the characters who've got all the color are the ones who are, you're kind of seeing from that point of view. Maybe again, I, I don't want to defend my um, off the top of my head uh, idea there, but I'm just saying that the, the move from, from this first person, let me tell you a story about what happened there into let me tell you a story about this other amazing guy. And I can heap praise on top of them uh, on them as, as much as I want. Um, I think that kind of thing is a is is a is a transition into character, and you can have these huge characters told from a from a slight that heroic distance kind of point of view. Mm. It, uh, it's interesting because it, the Tarzan uh, series, I think, of all his series, Tarzan is the only one that doesn't go into first person. In Mars, his first three were in per- first person. Then he went to third person and bounced back and forth. Uh, at the Earth's core in Pellucidar first, and then I think they go into third. Uh, Carson of Venus, uh, those might all be in third person. But Tarzan is all 23 of the books. Or I don't believe there is a single one that's written in first person in the Tarzan series. But this is this is my point that John Carter. It's like what's the ca- what's his defining characteristic except being able to jump high? There isn't that, and I think that's probably one. I oh, he's, didn't... no, he's got some. He's got some stuff. He's 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 a gentleman. He's He's uh, he's quite thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a warrior. He's, he's a professional yeah. killer. But for me, re- remembering his book, he doesn't have any distinguishing features that make him a memorable character at all. It's like John Carter, like describing. Well, when David reads him, he's very memorable. Oh, he is. <laughs> I remember very well. But I'm saying I, I... <laughs> that amazing character because he is that. Like, he has he has got that foreignness. He's he is he is the opposite of the everyman in every single kind of way. He's a lord. He's a a savage. He's a you know a heroic white person who is built like a god and the most you know and the other ones like the like John Carter of Mars. It's because he he, he is like a bit of an everyman character, and so is the Connecticut Yankee. It's like oh, I'm just like an average Joe from around here, but put me in a different place, and then I'm special. But Tarzan is it, you don't you wouldn't have needed to put him into a different place to have him special. He would have been special anyway, just by his amazing breeding and physical finesse. Mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to work out why Tarzan is such is 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 a bigger character than like all these other characters, even of even of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. He he actually had like you say he had something special in Tarzan, which isn't yeah. there. David. I wanted to ask you about uh, a book, and maybe you you've read because it sounds really interesting. It's called Tarzan Alive: A Definitive Biography of Lord Greystoke, written by Philip Jose Farmer in the seventies. Mm. Um, it's basically uh taking the idea that he's an actual person and this is a biography based upon close reading of all the books hmm. um and he farmer apparently takes um looks at some of the details and says you know oh he must have been exactly like this and uh and one of the things he he added that i gets put into the into the Greystoke movie as opposed to the earlier uh, Tarzan movies, which have him sort of as a, he's not really a sophisticate, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, in in Greystoke, he's a sophisticate, even if he's quiet. Mm-hmm. He can speak. He, it's amazing that film because it's so silent compared to the novel. He, Tarzan's quite wordy. Yes. Um, and he's he's got a good, he's got good grammar going. But in in the movie, he's quite silent, except he has an amazing mimicking ability. Right? He can he can uh, do tigers, and he can do uh. elephants, and he can do birds, and he can really communicate with his, his, uh, ape family, but he also, um, it's like, that's the explanation why he could pick up, uh, Bel- uh Belgian French, uh, <laughs> or, uh, early on in the story and, and, you know, try to teach himself English. He's, he's like a intellectual, mm. uh, uh, dispositioned guy. It sounds like an interesting book. Maybe uh, I don't. I'm not familiar with it, but now I'm going to have to is get that, a copy and take a look at it. Is there interviews with people who knew Tarzan? Because I think that would be an interesting. <laughs> thing. That'd be interesting. <laughs> I don't know. That would be good. I think that's the kind of thing that you need to look. Yeah, I I, I really like Philip Jose Farmer too because he he's he really was into this. He also I believe wrote a a uh, he wrote some of his own sort of burrows in stuff, yes. but he. Didn't he? Uh, well, uh, no, not. Uh, no. He he wrote a he wrote a Doc Savage biography as uh, well, okay. which is kind of interesting. But um, uh, the first one of the first uh, LibriVox audiobooks that really got me into LibriVox was uh, one of his by, uh, called The Green Odyssey, which is a planetary romance, um, <laughs> kind of inverted because it's got <laughs> it, it, the 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 love interest is quite stinky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and she's not so much a love interest as she's she she won't let the main character go. It's it's almost a comedy now that I think about it. It is. I've I've read it. I I, I think that's my favorite book of Philip Jose Farmer's because it is like yeah, it's, it, it's, fun. it's just too. I've read his Day World series and um, everybody's read the, the uh, yeah the River World one. Um, oh yeah, but that I actually really enjoyed. I'm trying to look down. He he he's just kind of a farmer's kind of a fan of character and. And he takes a, you know, uh, he, he, that river world, I think, is just him playing with a bunch of different characters he'd like to play with, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, if if that's okay, and you don't require a uh, explanation or a plot or anything like that, then uh, <laughs> go for it. Because I was really disappointed because there wasn't anything beyond that. Mm, yeah. As as I but, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think this is... Um, uh, nicely fits into the entire. I, I'm seeing a pattern with uh, with Burroughs' books. You know, there's a girl, there's a love, in, uh, there's the love interest, there's the the man who has to learn a language and go on a long trip. Even uh, more so, though, there's a stranger in a strange land. Uh yeah, I that guess too, so. Yes. Yeah, because most case, of his characters right? are, you know, I mean, it's a standard of Hollywood in all all of its various forms. Is oh look, here's the person who doesn't know how we do things around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Fish out of water, or uh, yeah, fish out of water, and out of his jungle. Yep. Yeah, I and mean, well, he, there's him, but also all the people who go to Mars. Yeah, you know, still, yeah. you know, they're they're dealing with a strange culture, and we're seeing. A culture through their eyes, even if it's our culture or the, our culture at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because he's a stranger, he can give you the uh, the the point of view of the outsider, and thus make yeah. make comments about that culture that uh, an insider really cannot make yeah. and stick. Personally, my favorite of the Mars books has a 
fairly scathing uh, look at religion in it. I think it's part of what ruined me for religion. And um, as such, it's it's where I recall getting my skepticism from. Oh, yeah, that would be the gods of Mars. No, no, no? that would be the mastermind of Mars. Oh, the mastermind? Oh, yeah, right. All, all the stuff about Tur. Tur is Tur. Yes, and it was like, wow. And I, and I read that when I was in second grade, and it just, it, after that, I was just really skeptical. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what's, what's the character? Grader. What's the character? Sorry, the, the you say what, who's the Turg? No, Turg is a god, and and Tur there's a lot is, about the relate yeah. the religion around Tur and 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 the and the hypocrisy of religious leaders and oh, the, okay. Oh my gosh! It's it's right. extremely uh, part of the formula. Part of the religion. Uh, part of the 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 catechism is they they say tur is tur tur is tur. And I think the guy said the 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 hero says, "Why do you keep repeating the same sentence?" Oh, we're not. We're reversing it every time we say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but another part is they they go through the temple and they and they see that they're doing these ludicrous things. You know, as and it's it's terribly important to the the worshippers that they're doing it, but to the outsider, it's it's just looks silly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, and well, anyway, so that's why that's my favorite book. Did, that, have you done that book? And for, that's one that no, may, I may not be still out of copy. That one, that's a, well, that, that you know, that's a good question. Because. It says it's it says it's not renewed. Um, it says it's therefore public domain on the Wikipedia entry for it. Last I looked, mastermind, it's only, right? it's only uh, available by, in Australia. Last I looked, but I would, may not be in the same. It's available at Gutenberg Australia. It's technically copyrighted because it was uh, uh, originally published after 1923, which in yeah. the U.S. Mm. 1923 no, is the magic a, one. Yep. Uh, yeah, but there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's another way. Uh, that it can be in the yeah Wikisource. It's on Wikisource. Right. You can do the book. Right. Uh, this one guy I, I, from from the Burroughs fans has written a, a pretty good tome about the copyright status, and apparently Mastermind uh, is in public domain because the copyright extensions that were filed were invalid. Ah. Uh, what yes. happened is. Yes. Burroughs was a one uh, another reason that Burroughs is still a force, and a lot of the pulp writers of the early 20th century are not. Burroughs was a terrifically good businessman. He was one of the first writers who figured out that it was really smart to incorporate. He incorporated himself in 1923, and after that, he would and he would write his books and sell them to the company as works for hire. And then it would become the company's responsibility to file the copyright extensions. Well, from what I read in this one book, uh, Mastermind of Mars, the copyright extension was filed by his heirs, not by the company. And the oh. extensions are therefore invalid because ah. they're very sticky about who files for extension. Copyright is an endless labyrinth of it's a, It really mm -hmm. is. But I do see that uh, uh, Gutenberg – I've sent you a link there to it. the – Go ahead. No, Wikisource has it, and Wikisource is good enough for you. Wow. You're in the States. 
Wow. So well, I, was, I think you just got another book. I was staying away from it just because I don't want any legal controversy. Uh, but uh, no, I haven't. Let me, let me read you the quote here. Oh. This work is in the public domain in the United States because it was legally published within the United States under section blah, 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 blah. Uh, stuff in bracket. <laughs> Before 1964, copyright was not renewed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that that's... And it shows links to the Copyright Office records, so... Cool. 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 That's, I, it's, it's one where I would read it, because if it was if found it out of copyright, but you did such a good job, so... Sorry, I've lost track. Which book are we talking about now? The Mastermind Smart. Oh, oh, okay, we're still on that. I my bad. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Book Julie, six of the you, were, you wanted series. to talk about uh, Johnny Weissmuller. Uh, Weissmuller. Yes. What, what, what were you going to say about him? I've never seen one of his movies. What, how many did he do? He did... Oh gosh, he did a whole God. bunch of them. But he um, was the he was the he, yodel he was the Hollywood yodel guy who did the, he was oh. the yodel. yeah he was yeah yeah he invented yeah. Tarzan through the the 30s and 40s is it? And there's some interesting things about you know I mean he was for all that I mean he may be criticized on his acting he was actually very well suited for the Tarzan they wanted to portray. Mm-hmm. Which is basically a jungle Tarzan. They don't ever take him out, right? Uh, not yeah, very. He, he never. Yeah, the Wise Miller Tarzan never gets much polish. I mean, I'm yeah. in Return of Tarzan right now. He's sitting in French cafes, smoking cigarettes and drinking absinthe. Yeah, but the Tarzan that they wanted. To and, well, he's driving a car in this one, right? <laughs> yeah, right. He's driving a oh, Renault right. or something, right? Uh, uh, and in in Tarzan of the Apes, yeah, he drives. I thought. Oh, another thing that they changed in the Gutenberg is because uh, Burroughs was still talking about you know driving up in an automobile and he got in the machine, and uh, for some reason they figured machine was uh, not an appropriate word to use, so they would replace machine with car in this <laughs> uh, in this edit that they did, That's and. Oh, the point of it being a machine it's a machine yes. because he's an it's it's an alien to him because it's a machine and he's a oh well yeah. also in 1912 they were pretty alien to people too they were very special you know yeah, look right. at I my machine terrible change oh yeah no i've i've written that into several of my episodes of my show when i'm dealing with certain time periods i'll very specifically put in you know into some story Oh, uh, what is an automobile? I don't know. It's an engine of Satan <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and and because, you know, people had all sorts of different opinions of what what cars were about. But yeah, Weissmuller did a dozen, at least a dozen Tarzan films. And the, the but but if you look at the 30s and 40s, they didn't want him to be too racy. They didn't want him to be – they wanted sort of the cute – Happy, friendly Tarzan dude, you know, and that's and that's what he gave them, and he was very good at it. He was non-threatening. He could kill monsters, he could kill animals, and he could kill bad guys, but but he was never a threat to anybody who was a good guy. And he was really good at it, and he's very very charming. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. I agree. Where did he get his razor? (laughs) <laughs> he's in the middle of the jungle no no he, he actually says that in the book that he learned how to shave because he yeah, because he with what using with his father's knife father's knife okay that knife is uh, all he had for I, his I, father I, that knife was his father you know it was his it was his rite of passage in every point of the book was that knife that he had he killed people with it he ate with it you know he shaved himself with it that's that's it I'm surprised it didn't come up again at the very end of the book that he used that when he you know he was going to use it to do something at the end of the book because it's been there all the way through. But uh, no. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I I think it's at the end of the book. It's, it's like next book, Blaze. You oh, know, yeah. I think. Oh yeah. It's so set up for the next one because there's so it 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 is resolved, but it's not resolved in a way that says. And that was that. <laughs> uh, no, no happy ending yet. Uh, no, happy ending no. to come. Um, does he ever get a, get back with Jane? Oh yes. Yeah, that's oh, like really? the next yeah. book, isn't it? Isn't it the next book? They end up married and. Uh, I believe the end of Return. Uh, we we resolve the John Clayton perplex and. Uh, oh, oh yeah, the, uh, by the end of the Return of Tarzan, that's all. That's all put to rights. Yeah. Mm. Well, now now. In the in the Weisemuller series of films, they never get married. They just shack up, which is very they they were very very touchy about that Make when they made the movies. The, Interesting, they, they, because though the, the movies straddled the Hayes Commission. They were, yes. They it was were, interesting. For, for the Dum Dum, they showed us uh, the second Miller film, I think it was, Tarzan and his mate. And there is an incredible nude swimming scene with Jane, where mm-hmm. you, you got some beautiful shots of her behind, <laughs> underwater, <laughs> swimming. Yeah, Swimming Marine, was very Marino popular Sullivan. in the Weissmuller movies, partly because, A, he was a swimmer. And, and partly because that was a way to show lots of wet people. That's right. Well, <laughs> what was interesting is Tarzan and his mate, you got some nice female photography, mine, right right up there with the uh, Bond openings of beautiful female form. And then by the next film, the Hayes Commission had clamped down and, uh, and uh, it was Jane swimming naked underwater, but you could see the bathing suit. Oh, this is yeah. this is really but, great. There was actually well, it says here on Wikipedia there was for the infamous swimming scene in this pre Hayes Code film. Alternative footage was shot of Jane in various stages of dress, ranging from ranging from totally nude to fully covered. So they actually did three different versions of the foot of that sequence. Interesting, with, you know. And then they released the one, and the, it says the footage underwater was she was it that was actually Olympic swimmer Josephine McKim. Um, who was a? I guess she, it says competed in the 1928 games with Johnny Weissmuller. So, uh, mm-hmm. so I think that's really funny. There's a version with alternate footage of Jane swimming nude or topless was restored in 1986. Wow! Um, so they actually had all of that, all of that, uh, all of that footage, and they had it every every which way, um, like you say. So well, that's they had to they had to deal with a lot of different mores around the country and stuff too yeah but i just right. i just like that they was like oh well okay we'll have the we'll have the version for the Hayes code we'll have the version for this and then we'll also have a version which won't be seen for another 50 years <laughs> and it's <laughs> well, 50 shoot, years the, time shoot yeah I, I remember some films in the u.s that were shot in the 60s where there was an american version and then there was the uh more skin friendly european version oh yeah which which but, means but, skin friendly as in there's more nudity, nudity, more skin nudity. yeah yeah, there's what? some great, uh, great versions of, of like 80s and 90s action movies which were edited for uh, for playing on TV on ITV in the in the UK, and all of the swearing has been overdubbed by you know instead of saying <laughs> oh fuck that, it's like oh forget that, and there's the, yeah. famous, <laughs> the, the famous melon farmer motherfucker thing. Oh, you you melon farmer, and you're like really? Yeah, so, <laughs> there's some there's some well, really great stuff like that. When Repo Man made it to TV in the US, the first time all the f words were were dubbed over with flip flip you flip you two let's yeah. flip and get out of here flip this flip that <laughs> oh my god they must have had to dub half the movie <laughs> but um back to tarzan again one of the things i 
when I was watching one of the one of the movies, the Weissmuller movies recently, they were talking about the fact the reason why Jane wasn't in it was because uh, Maureen O'Hara was pregnant at the time, and they couldn't oh. possibly show Jane pregnant because they weren't married. All and that's right. why Boy is found rather than right. being their child, uh, uh. because they could not have a child because they weren't married. And and that's one of the interesting reasonings behind. You know, they they work. They can have a monkey it. though. They can have a, an ape. Well, she didn't get birth. Cheetah doesn't show up in any of the books, right? Not at all. That, no, Cheetah. Well, che- no, Cheetah. Well, there's Cheetah. Sheeta. Uh, no, Cheetah doesn't show up in the books. That that's completely okay. a, a Hollywood invention. That just shows you that right from the start they were inventing Scrappy Doo. <laughs> <laughs> Melon Farmer was from Repo as well. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, right from the start, they were inventing that 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 spunky yeah. animal that they could put in for comic relief. Oh, it's good okay. having a dog. You put a dog in there, don't they? Say that in the what's the movie with Shakespeare, and it's like, oh, and it's got a scene with a dog. Everyone likes a scene with a funny dog. Uh, oh I, yeah. I, 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 I wanted more. Oh yeah, that was it. I, I, I wanted to hear more about Tantor and what Tantor had to say. Is that show up in the later books? Yes, it does. Uh, uh, Tantor becomes a very important, well, uh, uh, just off the top of my head, Son of Tarzan, Tantor is important, uh, Jungle Tales, Tantor. It, uh, there's a whole story about how, how Tarzan makes great friends with Tantor. Y- hmm. Yeah, yeah, so Tantor becomes... Now, Tantor is, is the name for the whole species, right? The, it's not. Now, this is an interesting point. And we're getting back to what would happen originally when Burroughs would publish. Uh, when it did publish in the pulps, they would edit it. And so very often his, his, uh, his texts got cut down a bit for the uh, pulps, which is one reason that he really wanted to be published in hardback. He wanted what he wrote to be published. And that's why it's so, uh, so sad now that uh, if people want a copy of Tarzan of the Apes, they're probably going to go to Gutenberg, and they're not going to get what Ed wrote. But in the All Story magazine, every yeah, each uh, of the species of animal has a name. Numa is the lion. Uh, Sheeta uh, 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 is the uh, the panther. Tantor is the elephant. Hista the snake. But you've got Sabor <laughs> the lioness, and it's the only only animal where there's a different name for the male and female. And that mm-hmm. comes from the fact, originally, Burroughs wrote Sabor the tiger. Oh. In the original All Story, there's no tigers in the, we had in Sabor the, the tiger trying to get at Jane Porter through the window of the cabin. And then somebody pointed out, Ed, no, they don't have tigers in Africa. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's lions well, there's in India, no tigers. So he changed it for yeah. the hard book, uh, hardback. Instead of Sabor the 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 tiger, it is Sabor the lioness. Oh, because I got could... a little bit confused about that. I was like, wait a second, wasn't the lion called something else? But then yeah, I the, yeah, no, yeah. Well, you, yeah. you could argue that you know the lion has a mane, the lioness doesn't. Then therefore, you know, if you don't actually follow him home yeah. and see him hang out together, you might think they were two different things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's the real reason is because originally. Originally, uh, Sabor was a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it looks like there's at least ten books in the public domain. Uh, up to 1924, there's ten Tarzan books. 
Are you going to do all n- nine more? I'm, uh, I- I'm not sure. At the moment, I'm not sure if I'm going to have the longevity and the wind to finish them. But I am planning to do at least through the Beasts of Tarzan, which is number three. And okay. I would very much like to do the Jungle Tales. That's one of my favorites because that's essentially uh, 12 very long short stories. But they're all before Tarzan meets uh, the white man. It's all his youth in the jungle. It's before he becomes civilized. Oh, that sounds good because I think that when he does come civilized, you know, like you say, when he's when he goes to goes to Cambridge and university and sitting in French, you know, Parisian cafes and stuff, I think that kind of yeah, it loses it loses some it of loses the charm. It, even it, though it, even though I've not read like the like the originals of these, but like but you see them in, in some kind of portrayals, like with Crocodile Dundee, it's when he's in the bush, is they that's where you really want him. And George of the Jungle, it's like when when he's running yeah. around with the elephant, that's what you really want to be seeing. But they always have this oh, when he comes over and it's the it's the crazy jungle guy who's now in in the big city, and he's just like oh, come on. Get back to the jungle, the, you know that the shark of... shark jumping time. Oh, well, come no, on. I mean, you everybody still, you likes st- to see Crocodile Dundee wash his boots in the toilet, or the yeah. That's yeah, but I, I think this... Crocodile Dundee two was 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 what <laughs> Luke was referring to. I can't I, I can't remember. I'm just saying that you always get the bit with the uh, yeah. Is it Crocodile Dundee when he goes to the city? I can't even remember. Uh, they, yeah. they're both. Yeah, yeah they, he does. They, he goes to the city in both, but. They, uh, he needs to go out of the city, but in the in the I think I think a very good and very interesting movie, uh, Greystoke, he goes back to the jungle, and it's it's almost like he's going back because the humans are evil, mm-hmm. but it's also to fit with the um, Jane's not gonna live there, you know. She's not gonna live in the jungle with them. Mm-hmm. He, he's going back for good, and he's like a wild animal going back. Into the wilderness. Um, if you love well, something, set it free. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but he sets himself free. Right? Yes. He, he, yes. He's the one who's in charge. Yeah. I oh, was, it's I was interesting. really disappointed that the what was the, what was the name of the character who like the father figure who teaches him French? What's him? I was oh, I was really di- yeah I was really disappointed that he wasn't a bigger part of the end. I thought he could have. You know, I, I thought it'd been much better if he drove the car and Tarzan was like standing on the <laughs> roof of the car, you know, riding it like he used to ride the elephant. He was like sitting astride the car, like, and and it was Darnell who was coming in. I thought he would be a little bit bigger at the end, whereas it did seem he he was just a bit much of a oh we need to educate this guy or oh we need to teach him oh, how yes. to speak. So yeah. we'll just have this guy do it, and I thought he he could have played a bit more into the uh, into that final scene. Yeah, no, he could. Well, he he shows up quite a bit in the second one, in Return of Tarzan. We we get some more Darno, but but Burroughs was very able to uh, to uh, use his characters and then just plop and and forget them in in mid story once they outlive their purpose, their uh, usefulness. He was still learning his craft when he was writing this. I mean, this was only the third book that he'd written. Wow. That's amazing. Have we done? Have we done all three? Is that how we did it? We did the first, the Under the Moons of Mars, aka. Right. Uh, then, uh, actually, his second novel was The Mad King, which is Barney Custer of the U.S. It's a, it's a, a prisoner of Zenda takeoff. Is the yeah. second book he wrote, which actually uh, uh, would be an interesting one to podcast too. Uh, yeah. and uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I'm looking at one called Beyond 30. Oh yeah. Is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tw- the year 2137 
uh, heavily influenced by World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's is hilarious to see somebody's predictions. <laughs> yeah. It, it's got lions. Come on. <laughs> it's got a uh, lions and swords and uh, ruins. Looks good. Oh, Those uh, damn yeah. dirty apes. Oops, sorry, wrong one. And that that never turned into a series. He he had a lot of stuff that didn't. Uh, really hit yeah there was stuff that he thought he might pick up later and it just it didn't pay he 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 was a businessman he would throw stuff up see what works and then pursue that one and uh and as he and he would try new new series and some he just didn't have time to to flesh them out and go on i mean he was terribly prolific and uh there's I don't know how many unpublished works are still lay in the desk anywhere. I suspect those are pretty tapped out. But uh, well, what what about the Mucker? That that that's a three book series. Yeah, that that was his attempt to do some socially relevant, uh, hard hitting, uh, 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 muckracking type stuff. I would think it's that's pretty much just uh, a, a tough guy in Chicago. I I I'm yeah, not that like familiar with yellow peril looking dudes on the cover. It's, yeah, 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 it's yeah. Interesting yeah. with swords and yeah. There's uh, the girl from Hollywood, which is uh, supposedly an expose of of the flesh pots of Hollywood. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> which he is about to unleash. Oh yeah, well, uh, yeah. yeah, he he uh, he was he was pretty wry about his dealings with Hollywood. <laughs> another one called the Man Eater. <laughs> oh yeah, that's uh, uh, that's about yeah, that's an, uh, another jungle uh, adventure, I believe, in in Southeast mm-hmm. Asia. Do, do we know if he traveled much, or did he just do it all? I believe he loved traveling in the U.S. I don't think he did much travel outside the U.S., but he was one of these guys who would get in one of these 1911 contraptions, a car, and go out on the road when that was a very, very tricky. Uh, uh, he he wrote some. He wrote actually a pamphlet about some road trips he took that are pretty harrowing. I mean. Uh, uh, having to push the car as much as the car carried them, buying a second mm. car to to, ca- to carry all their their traveling gear. So <laughs> no highways yet, right? That's right. Uh, they, uh, we didn't have the highway system, so uh, you know mud roads and uh, uh, adventure adventures galore out on the great uh, see the USA. So I, I wanted to ask you when you're going to do the land that time forgot because that is the next one I'm really excited about. I guess once I have finished Beasts of Tarzan, that might be time to pick that one up again. Or not what, pick starts it up again. a new series. It's a dinosaurs, one, dinosaurs, right? Yes, is, that a new, is that a different series? That's a, his like third main series that he's known for, I guess. It's actually more like a fourth or fifth. Uh, it's, oh, really? It, Let me have a look at his works. It's his, it's, uh, it's his takeoff on the Lost World, essentially. Yeah. It's another, it's another island where there's prehistoric creatures... Hello, hello, hello. And you wrote three, three of them in a year. Yeah, they're three, it's, it's a trilogy, they're, and it's actually kind of short novels, more like novelettes. I, I believe, actually, when it was published hardback, all three were published in the same book. Yeah, it says here, Castback series, all in 1918, all published together. So Yeah, yeah. in paperback, they were published both, individually. It's, it's, it's set during World War I, too, I would assume. That's say, right. right, it starts out in a submarine, in a U-boat. I think I've read that one, that's why it kind of catches me yeah, yes, and they, i think actually they're, looking, it, it, they're doing a search aren't they they're searching for a u-boat 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're lost at sea, or they uh, they're on a U boat, and uh, I I remember all I remember is God. When are they going to get off this bloody boat and get <laughs> the action? Well, uh, I hate to disagree with you here, but listen to this review from Floyd C. Gale discussing the 1963 reprint. He says it is quote unquote sheer headlong adventure that is unusual even for an ERB thriller. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So somebody likes it. Well, it's uh, lasted. It's it, being reprinted. Was there a movie or? Uh, I saw, there was a film of it, I believe. I believe there was at least one, "The Land of Time Forgotten." I think it's called that. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, there it is. Nineteen seventy-five. The people that time forgot. Uh oh. Maybe that's maybe that's the. Novel was adapted for film under the 1975 direction of Kevin O'Connor. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sleeper hit. I guess that means not popular. <laughs> not popular at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like Caveman. Oh, and there was a one reduced produced by the Asylum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, that's a winner. It's a mockbuster if it's the Asylum, isn't it? Oh, it looks like they really. You know, they put all their budget into the cover. Yeah. So, yeah, right. does anyone have any uh, any closing words on this then uh, of Tarzan of the Apes? I, all I can say is that I, again, it's one of those stories like you know the Connecticut Yankee or King Arthur. You know it so much from the TV shows and the and the comic books and all these other things that actually the book itself it's not what you it, think. Yeah. It's not what you think, but tell you something, it's way better than I thought it was going to be. A lot of that's down to the uh, to David's uh, narration, which I think is is pitch perfect all the way through. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and it's just, it's just really, really good fun at every moment. You're like, oh, and it starts off with this guy and he gets on a boat and there's these pirates. And I was like, oh, I don't really care about Tarzan, but this, this whole mutiny thing, this is really interesting. And then they get aboard. It's like, oh, I don't really care if Tarzan turns up, but this shipwreck stranded thing, this is really good fun. And then building the house and, and setting, yeah. where you can kind of see all the pieces falling into place. And it's like, oh yes. And he made this door and the door would close. And I was like, oh, that's going to explain this and this, which is, you know, the kind of stuff that isn't in all the adaptations or in the you know in the the shorter versions and stuff like that so you you see all these oh, pieces uh, uh, how about place. how about just the 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 baby skeleton in the uh, you know the, the ape uh, ape skeleton in the in the cradle oh, that's Come so on, amazing that, that is so classic right yeah, that, it's great it's just the perfect uh, i mean there's a there's a lot of sort of silly things that happen you know with the the note and we they don't know tarzan is the same guy as the but that one that's just perfect that's like a classic yeah it's of writing, so clever yeah mm-hmm. yeah anyway and as, so that's as my we've final and as for me, uh, it's what you said earlier, Jesse, of, of all Burroughs' work, this one has the deepest, full richest of yeah, I, emotional content. There were, there were a couple of chapters where I was just kind of choking up. Uh, Absolutely. It is, it, it is quite sad in uh, touching. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like when his mother dies, you're just like, mm, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's worse, <laughs> that's worse than Bambi's mother. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You actually kind of see it, even though again, it, it does happen off. Does it happen? He's not there when it happens, and no, I can't remember. But he he comes back and he finds his mother. Yeah, he finds one. that she's been killed by the spear. It's, she's the, the one. Yeah. 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 And vengeance is his. Yeah, and actually, uh, I, I believe it. Uh, I was in it on return uh, when he tells Darno how he felt upon seeing his mother had been killed. I mean, he's this guy's got a heart. That's a great relationship too. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you coming on, David and Luke and Julie and 
Hey, Tam, he's still there, right? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> he just he just joins in with conversations like this, so he doesn't have to listen to them later. I think that I think he's it's, <laughs> it's kind of overwhelming with the podcast. Uh, the <laughs> What, okay, well, you're, you're, we'll finish with your opinion then. What, what's, what are you going to say about Tarzan, your final thoughts then? Well, I was going to say before, I, I kind of listened to it as a serial because I, I went to David's podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. so I, I, would, I would approach it like it was just one episode of a weekly series, and then David would uh, sum up the, the previous episodes. So I would never lose track. So that, that's the way I enjoyed listening to it. It was serial drama. I mean, uh, usually this would be published in installments in the pulps, and the fact that it was published all at once was rare. But what would it's interesting what would happen almost after almost immediately after it was published in the pulps, this stuff went into syndication in newspapers too. I can remember when I was a kid, uh, newspaper novelizations in the entertainment sections, and they would be serializations. And that was quite a popular thing all across the U.S. is to serialize books in the newspapers. And Burroughs discovered very early that that was pretty lucrative, and most of the authors were just not even paying attention to those rights. He, again, as a businessman, that was one of the first things he did is in his contracts with the uh, pulp magazine, he would specify that I'm going to retain the newspaper newspaper syndication rights and i'm going to profit from those instead of you guys profiting from them so this stuff was written to be serialized it was deliberately meant to make you want more and end on a cliff this has been the sff audio podcast please join us at www.sffaudio.com 